Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Elisa Minkin. I'm a general pediatrician and I'm the co-chair of the JOMA Preventative Health Committee. And I'm here tonight with Rabbi Yitzi Ross. Rabbi Ross is a dynamic fourth grade Rebbe at South Shore, where I have to say, full disclosure, my boys attended. He's also the writer of the popular column, Yid Parenting, which is in many, many from papers, and the head of Rock Mishpacha, his family band, where his children each get to shine with their own instruments. By the way, you can check out the article in Mishpacha magazine. It was April 16th, 2019, if you want to learn about Rock Mishpacha. So we're actually here tonight to talk about the kids being back in school after reopening after the beginning of the pandemic. And I want to give you my perspective as a pediatrician and also Rabbi Ross's perspective as an experienced Rebbe and parenting advisor. So you're on, Rabbi Ross. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. It is my pleasure. And full disclosure, Menachem was an amazing student, and I have his report card, and it was straight Aleph, Aleph pluses. So this is going to be an easy conversation for me. Oh, one second. This is not parent-teacher conferences. This is uh, COVID discussions, correct? Oops, we are recording this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, excellent. I love it. So, you know, my me. perspective as a Rebbe uh, with this whole COVID thing is the same that every other Rebbe is having, actually, because the kids came back to Yeshiva, and there were some new things. There were these plexiglass barriers in the corners of every desk mm-hmm. or surrounding the desk. The Rebbe's have barriers. The kids are being kept isolated from other groups as much as possible. In case, God forbid, one boy shows up as a positive, there will be less children that will have to quarantine. They are being much more careful with these health checks before the year begins. And this is all happening. And then class is starting. And so many kids are having an issue sitting straight. And naturally, everyone's blaming it on the virus. So I, I wanted to, first of all, tell everybody, it's not true. As he would say in Hebrew, that is not why the kids are not focusing. So there's something else that parents and educators have to understand, which is we have trained our children. We as a society have trained our children to sit in chairs for seven to nine hours a day. So when they're in kindergarten, they have circle time for maybe a half hour to an hour. Then in pre-1A, they're in the chair for an hour and a half to two hours. By first grade, they're in gaps of two, two and a half hours, multiple times in a day. And when they hit fourth grade, they can sit in their desk for very extended periods of time. Contrast that with parents who are not capable of sitting in their chair for more than 15 or 20 minutes. I mean, look at the Ruv's Drush on Shabbos. You see the men are antsy and moving around. And then when we have back to school night, the parents can't sit still. So what is it? So we've trained these children to sit still. Is it a good thing? I, I assume so. How else are we going to teach them? The problem is every single summer, there's a 10-week break. And during that 10-week break, the kids revert back a little bit and forget. So for the first few days back in yeshiva or school, the kids have to relearn to sit properly. Well, now the kids had a six-month break. And they have reverted back to very, very, very early years. And many of them are having a very difficult time sitting. So naturally, we're blaming the elephant in the room, which are the plexiglass and the masks. That's not what it is. They forgot how to sit. 
the virus is not having an issue with their focusing abilities. It's having an issue in other ways. So if you're going to tell me a child's having mental issues and he's, you know, scarred because of all this stuff going on and the people getting sick and quarantines and masks, I understand that. And we can discuss that. But the fact that many of the children are having issues sitting, and I've heard many people discussing this in different venues, on newspapers, in the radio. I, I have seen articles, many people are emailing me, what should we do? We just got to give it time. And we're lucky because we have a break. We have the Yom Narom showing up. And because of those Yom Narom, the kids get a break. And then we get to go back into it again. So I'm, I'm guessing that Emir Hashem, after, you know, circus, the kids will really jump right, right back into it. So that's the first thing I wanted to clear the air and say, the kids are not being affected um, psychologically because of the masks. It, it hasn't affected my class at all. The biggest issue I have is that I forget to take the mask off when I'm walking around the room. So I have this mask on and uh, let's try to put it on the right way. I'll go like this. You can hear me clearly a little bit muffled because I'm wearing these big headphones. Mm -hmm. But in the classroom, we don't have a problem. And I'll walk around and then when I go back to my desk, I don't need the uh, mask anymore. Therefore, I have the plexiglass in front. So they'll say, Rebbe, can you take it off so we can hear you clearer? To, to be fair also, many of these things that we're doing are not really super necessary, which is where a lot of the problems that you had discussed are showing up. So we all know that Baruch Hashem, kids are not getting this COVID as much as adults are, and we, we're not sure if they're carriers or to what extent. But we also, you know, they're outdoors a lot. The classrooms are large, well-ventilated, and they have these barriers in between them, and we're wearing the masks. So there's a lot of layers over here. So if one of the layers fail, we're still pretty good. Right, so, it's a Swiss cheese. It's a Swiss cheese idea. So it, right, so the goal is to be as safe as possible. And of course, you know, we have to, you know, some parents are being a lot more strict than others. And, you know, we, there's been a lot of funny things happening. I was discussing with someone else how I had a boy that was emptying his bottle of, uh, what, what's that thing, you know, uh, Purell kept squeezing into his hands every three minutes. So I finally had to go to him, what are you doing? And he said, my mother said every five minutes, I have to make sure my hands are clean. Hi. I said, I don't, I don't think that's what your mom meant. She probably meant after we go outside to play. And when I called the mom, she said, I told him every five minutes, you know, oh, this virus is going around. And I said, that, that's not what's happening. So we have, you know, both spectrum. Then we have the other parents telling the kids, this whole thing is nonsense. No one's getting sick. It's a conspiracy and everyone's healthy, which is odd because I know people that have unfortunately passed right. away from this. So I don't know how to explain to them that they didn't actually die. It's actually a conspiracy. So, you know, there's got to be a, a middle blend over there. And all the educators are scrambling to find that middle ground where we can teach in a safe and secure environment, tell the kids they're going to be okay and we're all fine. We just have to protect ourselves. So how is it working with those two different kinds of kids from two different kinds of families? I guess it's the same as every other year because, you know, you always have parents, you know, you have the parents that push the kids to, to learn extra every night and you have the kids that don't at all. So it's the same with everything else. It's a matter of just being on the same page and trying to make sure the kids understand that whatever it is, we can overcome it. You know, I, I actually, I'm writing an article this coming week that someone wrote into me, you know, this is the worst thing ever. How are we going to deal with this? And I'm thinking, yeah, so we had a Holocaust and, you know, millions of Yidin were killed and slaughtered. A, a mask isn't going to stop us. This is not the worst thing in the world. And those of us that are making it into like this 
we're, we're wearing masks, how are we going to survive? The way I, I feel it is I, I was in the store tonight and I wore a mask and I was thinking, I don't have a cold. I don't have any symptoms. I haven't been here with symptoms, but it is a 0.001% chance that I have this. And that sweet old lady walking by me, I, I don't want to get her sick. How could I do that? So it, it's just from a Jewish perspective, we're supposed to have an extra amount of empathy. And I, I don't understand those that don't wear masks. So I started off my year by telling the kids, a lot of us are coming from different angles. I said, how many of your parents are very worried about this virus? And a bunch of boys raised their hands. My, my uncle was sick. I said, how many of you, your parents think it's not so serious? And a bunch more hands go up. I said, how many of you don't know what I'm talking about? And the third group raised their hand. So I said, okay, so we're gonna forget everything we learned at home and we're gonna discuss our classroom and, the, and what we're gonna do in our classroom. I don't call it rules, but I say, here are the standards of our classroom. We're going to uh, try to keep the mask on whenever we're walking away from the desk. We do not have to wear a mask when we're by our seat unless I'm walking around. If I'm walking around to you guys individually to tell you things, please put the mask on just as a double barrier. I, if you forgot your mask, I have extra mask. If I forget a mask, please tell me I forgot your mask. And the boy said, will, will you be upset? I said, if I came in and my zipper was down and you said, Rebbe, X, Y, Z, would I be upset at you? No, I'd say, thank you. Same thing with the mask. I do forget, I'm human. I'll forget to put a mask on. You'll remind me, I'll put the mask back on. And to be brutally honest, I have forgotten a few times. You know, you're teaching, you get up and you run to the other side of the room to set exciting about the Chumash and you forgot the mask. So I have an extra one in my pocket. I have one hanging. The yeshiva gave out these masks, little like things to hold onto it. And it's been working very well like this. How are the kids doing with it? Because I know a lot of parents were concerned that it was going to be just too hard for them. So again, I, I don't understand those concerns. I, I'm, I'm blown away. Many people have been asking me if we're putting too much on these kids. Mm -hmm. They're kids. I mean, I, I have seen my child successfully debate bedtime for three hours straight when he was overtired as it was. And they're pretty resilient kids. We don't give them enough credit. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is such a big deal. I, I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock you. On Shabbos, and I hope this family is not, you know, maybe it's good for them to watch this. I went to a family and I was discussing with them that, you know, they're, they're making a joke out of this virus and it's actually serious. And I taught this boy and I was, you know, he and his wife and their kids. And they said, we're actually homeschooling our kids. I said, well, why? You know, and they said, well, the schools are requiring masks and our kids are not going to wear a mask. And then they turned to their third grade son and said, you're not going to wear a mask, are you? And he said, no way. I said, right, well, of course, right. of course they're not going to wear I said, I said, I turned to the boy and I said, come over here. The boy came over. I said, let me ask you a question. If you were in a class and you were having a great time, you were having the best Rebbe in the world. And the Rebbe said, everyone's got to wear a mask. Would that bother you? He said, no. So I turned to the parents. I said, it's all how we pre present it. So if you're making it into a battle lines and you're on this side and everyone's against you, of course, he's not going to want to wear a mask. I said, but if you say your mask can save other people, so the, the mother said, but what if he can't breathe? I said, ah, I'm pretty sure he could. Because believe it or not, you can breathe right. through the masks. How astonishing is that? And so it's just really not a big deal. I, I have not found it to be a big deal. So I, don't, I don't think this is as big of a problem as, you know, there are groups of people saying that masks are there to control us. I don't know. And other, someone else told me that we're wearing masks because there are people making millions off this. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten any money yet. I, just bring me the millions. I can be bought. So I, I don't really see it being as big of a deal other people are making it out to be.
Right, but I'm wondering how it is having those different kinds of kids in the class together. I mean, I guess you're able to set the tone for those kids in your class. Right, I don't, I don't think the kids even notice it. They Again, don't. once they're not in their home environment where their parents are feeding them whatever they want, once they come to the yeshiva, they like to blend in. Children mm -hmm. love to conform, most children. Mm -hmm. And these children that are conforming are conforming with the rest of the class who are all wearing a mask. You know, again, I had a boy today that put on, you know, those face shields, those plastic face mm -hmm, shields. Mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. had a mask and a face shield behind his desk. I said, you got to take it off. There's no reason to. So he was doing it to be cute and get attention. Mm -hmm. Generally, I don't think, I don't think it's that hard. I don't think, I haven't seen any kids in our yeshiva. And I spoke to him in a different yeshiva. He told me he's not having any issues. So it's really not as big of a deal as you would think. For the yeshivas, it's a big deal. They have to keep the masks on, you know. And the rabbim are being told, don't make it a battle issue. Don't tell the kids, why aren't you wearing a mask? I mean, we don't need more battles. It's, it's fine. If the kid's not wearing a mask, you could just point out. I, I, I haven't seen it to be a big deal. And those that are saying it's a big deal, it's in their head. Right, so they're creating the problem. And it's, it's great. It's so reassuring to hear that they're doing well. It yeah, really, I, as long I, as you set the tone. Right. I don't think I, I've been walking around other class. I walk by and, you know, again, I, I'm in one yeshiva, but I, I've spoken to parents and they don't really seem to think it's such a big deal. The, the general rule is when you're by your desk, you don't need a mask. And when you're outside of recess, you don't need mm -hmm. a mask. Mm -hmm. So the only big issue would be in most schools when they're inside a gym playing mm -hmm. ball, because technically you're supposed to wear a mask in the gym. I don't know if they're all wearing masks. I haven't gone to the gym with my class yet, but I can imagine that being more difficult because if you're playing a sport while wearing a mask, maybe that gets a bit tricky. But otherwise, I really, I don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. And, you know, those that are making it into a big deal, to them, it's a big deal and they're going to suffer the consequences. Their children are going to have issues conforming and uh, then they're going to have to reap what they sow. Right. And I'm wondering about the opposite, the parents who are, very, very anxious about this. I know there are some parents who think that children should never take their masks off. And, you know, South Shore has their policy. I know in New Jersey, for example, the rule is the children have to wear the masks all day, not just in the New Jersey Jewish schools, but that's the New Jersey law. I haven't spoken to anyone to find out how it's working. That's, that's a whole different scenario when the children meaning, are supposed to wear. wear a mask even when they're sitting at their desk? Yes. Even if they have a barrier? Yes. So I don't know if that's the fact. I, I was told they need to have a mask or a barrier in place, meaning if their desk has three mm -hmm. people who come in and they have three fiberglasses, I don't think there's any benefit to the mask, except that they don't have to remember to put it back on or off. But I can't imagine any school because they're actually wearing it the whole time. They'll probably just lower it down right. over the nose. Which, By the way, this is fascinating. As a doctor, you probably know this. The nose is actually connected to the mouth. So when people surprising? Them, yeah. And so when people walk around, they have a mask like this. It's actually not being very helpful, right. although it does protect from the mouth droplets. It's kind of silly to do that. Just right. go all the way in and we're, but you know, you ask about the parents that are anxious. There are a few, you know, we have, mm -hmm. and the, the yeshiva is doing the right thing, which is they're making it more difficult for me in a funny way. And I'll explain over the years, the past four years, whenever a child has been sick, I've been zooming in with them. Mm -hmm. I started, I think, three years ago. I used to use uh, TeamViewer. Now I use Zoom for the past mm -hmm. three years. So if a boy is cold or, or a strep, I would Zoom in. This way, the boys wouldn't miss a day of learning, and he could be a part of the class. And sometimes we'd even put my laptop with the Zoom on the child's desk if one boy is missing, so he could actually be in his seat. And it was great Aww. because they got to learn with the rest of the class, and the class mm -hmm. would check on the boy. So it was a win-win. The problem is the yeshivos are just, in general are scared that parents are going to get nervous and just keep their kids home more, more often than they should. 
And if that happens, it'll backfire because the education will suffer. So the yeshiva told me the only ones that are allowed to Zoom are those that are actually positive with COVID. Meaning if I have a boy like today, I had a boy that was sick. He had a small cold. He has no COVID, but they're not letting me right. let him zoom he in. Could be. He, they're not going to let him zoom in unless no? he's COVID positive because they don't want parents saying, my kid's sick, he's going to zoom from home. They want everyone to be in school unless they have COVID, they can zoom in. Otherwise, they cannot zoom in. So I'm being put backwards. I can't zoom with the kids anymore when they're sick unless they have COVID. That doesn't make sense. I'm a little confused. You mean the child who has to stay home because he might have COVID can't Zoom until he's proven to have it? Correct. There's a a logic to this because in every class, you'll have three or four boys that the parents are actually scared, Mm -hmm. which really shouldn't be. I mean, the the amount of levels and the barriers we have set in place are pretty, pretty substantial. So there's really no reason for these parents to be nervous. But all that's happening is they're convincing itself is a danger. So they're saying, I'd rather not send my son to school. Let's let him zoom in. And the problem is, A, it's very hard for many of the Rebbeim who are not tech savvy to zoom. Mm-hmm. B, I, I'm having a conversation with you now. Can you see me looking at you? Mm-hmm. Because I'm doing it right. But many people zoom like this. They look mm-hmm. at the screen. And when that happens, it's very hard to stay focused. Right. So the yeshiva does not want to run into a situation where parents are just taking the easy way out and keeping their kids home and letting them zoom from home. It's also disturbing for the Rebbe to teach. And then how do you test the kids? It makes things more difficult. So the schools, or many schools, are setting a policy saying, you cannot Zoom unless you actually have COVID. And, you know, for me, it's, it's hard because I always Zoomed. But for many of the Rebbeim, it's much easier because now they know unless the kid's positive, they don't have to Zoom. Then again, all the classrooms are wired with Zoom. The smart boards are set, it's all, all set up to go. So interesting. I know in other schools, they have a, you know, a certain percentage of kids who are going to be remote learning the entire time. That's their plan. Right. I guess South Shore is not doing that. No, we'd rather not. We'd rather Mm -hmm. not. It's just, you know, you can't compare it. I I did remote learning at a very high level. I did online tests. I integrated. I I had uh, rooms where the kids got together in the breakout rooms and I would check. It was great. But the fact remains, it's not like being there in person. It's just, it's a step backwards. It really is. Have you seen changes in the children from the amount of time that they were out of school? Well, socially? I remember I got the next class. So I can tell you that after the, after the virus is starting to, uh, it was slowly pulling away from us like a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. It's been getting worse in our area, unfortunately. unfortunately. But I did, I did have all the boys from my last year's class get together with me more than once. We went fishing together. We had a barbecue together, again, with, you know, face masks whenever mm-hmm. possible. And I took them to the batting cage. And I think almost every boy showed up except for one to most of these events. But there, there wasn't such a big, they were just excited to see each other. I mean, they're kids. What it comes down to is if you show a kid a jelly bean, the kid's happy in most cases. So mm-hmm. I don't think they were as affected as people make them out to me. I don't think it was traumatic as much as as experience. The kids are going to joke about, hey, remember when we had a Zoom, you know, 12 years ago, and that's all it's going to be. I don't think the kids were as affected as people seem to think. Mm-hmm. And there are also kids that, that are home because they're high risk or they have family members that are high risk. And I guess there's not that option in South Shore, but in other places, they are going to be remote schooling because they are not just from families where they're anxious, but because the child say, has severe asthma. Right. So again, it's a case by case thing. The yeshivas have to discuss what's going on and what's not. I, I certainly hear that there are parents that 
are legitimately legitimately mm -hmm. more scared. I have one parent I'm thinking of in particular. She's she's a healthcare worker, mm -hmm. and I, I think she's obsessive to the point of danger. I mean, she's not letting her child interact with the rest of the boys in any ways. And I think it backfires. I think her kids are going to resent it, resent her, and they're going to be taking this the wrong way. So you know, we have to be smart. You know, I, I, it's a sad story I'll tell you, but many, many, many years ago when I was a little boy, my cousin in Eretz Israel was stabbed to death and left to die by some Arabs. And I never heard about it. And my grandmother who kept the picture of my cousin hanging in the house, never told us what happened. Years later, I found out. No one knew about these things. Nowadays, everything is all over and the kids are getting an influx of information that they don't need to know. They shouldn't be hearing about people dying, people being sick. They should just be told, like I told my kids, there's a virus going around that can hurt people. So we're trying to protect ourselves as much as possible. We don't need to give information. The kids should not be scared. And when we tell our kids, it's deadly, people are dying. That's one of these parents telling your child, you think that's gonna help your child sleep at night? You're gaining nothing. You're just giving him nightmares. It's not healthy. Our job as parents is to protect our children as much as possible. We have to give them a little bit of reality, which is why my three-year-old knows that she can go to Florida when people stop being sick. And she's three. What more does she need to know? I'm not going to sit her down and give her a discussion about, you know, show her pictures. See this person, he's dead because he didn't wear a mask. I'm not going to do that. She's three. So why are we taking a nine-year-old boy and making him feel like the whole world's on his shoulders? And one boy said, my mother said, if I take off the mask, people might die. Oh, my gosh. You know, that's that's not the way to do it. Yeah, it's just not the right way of doing it. Wow. That is, yeah, that is definitely very anxiety provoking and, and really not productive. Can't have you seen it? it? Right. Yeah. Have you seen anything else or anything else you could um, tell parents that they could do to help? I'm thinking about what happens in the home. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. School. Yeah. The truth is that there's three elements in the house. You have the, the rebam or the teachers give the kid a boost and they go home. Like I get a boost of time. Mm -hmm. Then you have the parents that are home, and then you have the parents that are not home, which in many families, you know, they both have to work. So I, I don't know what goes on in these houses. I would, I would like to hope that parents are all treating this the same way, which is taking it as serious as possible without making it into it the deadly virus it is to our children. Because like I said, our children don't need to hear it. it. It's just very simple. We should be telling our children in an age-appropriate way that we're wearing a mask because we want to protect other people. And saving a life is like saving the world. And even though masks are comfortable, and even though their neighbors are telling them it's a waste and they're not helping, who knows? There's a chance it could help save someone's life, and we'll take that risk. I'm not telling my children they're in imminent danger. I, I you know, when my, my kids get a cough, I don't get nervous and run and call a doctor. You know, you have to use your brains like everything else in parenting and give children information that they could deal with on their age level in an mm -hmm. age appropriate way. And uh, I'm sure as a, as a doctor, you know, a pediatrician, you, you probably have to deal with kids coming in with uh, a whole slew of, of, you know, whatever they're calling them. They're having a fever and a cough and they're, these symptoms, and you have to tell them it's just a cold. It's not, you know, anything worse than that. But unfortunately, some parents aren't doing this. And the trauma the kids are going through psychologically is much worse than the virus is doing to them. Right. I'm wondering how South Shore's policy is. I, I didn't read every single school's policy, but I, I'm seeing other physicians already dealing with the kid has a, a tummy ache. Maybe he's nervous at the first day of school. Nope. He's got to quarantine because it could be COVID. Are they doing that? Yes. You know, 
there's two elements to this. And the scary thing is there's the legal perspective mm -hmm. and the medical perspective. So mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. My son went to camp, sleepaway camp this summer. And there was a miscommunication because there were a few boys going and we and a Rebbe going as well. And we asked, they were supposed to quarantine, get negative test, then quarantine for a week and then they can go to camp. Mm -hmm. And they were tested on the way in. So we said, can they quarantine with the boys that they're going to camp with? And the Rebbe and the camp said yes. So they learned together, no masks, even though it was outside. Mm -hmm. They learned, oh, it was good. And um, we drove up. I let my son drive up with two of these boys. Um, and the boy, I'm sorry, one of these boys, one of the boys. Oh, my son went up with, uh, uh, had a driver take my son and one other boy. That other boy tested positive when they got him, oh as gosh. did a few other boys, because the tests were false. Right. How do I know they were false? Because when these kids came back, they and their entire families were retested. They were all negative. Mm -hmm. And only the first few tested positive. So it was obvious to everyone that it was a false test. There were two other issues. First of all, they said since my son was wait, in the Wait, wait, wait. Stop for just a minute. I have to stop. I'm a doctor. Wait a minute. Were these rapid tests or were these the PCR? The rapid tests. Okay, the rapid tests are not reliable. Okay, go ahead. Right, so here's the problem. Because you're not, you're not, not going to see the, you're not going to see the false positive on the right. PCR. And not only that, they were not only were they the one giving it wasn't even doing it properly. The one giving it apparently for half the kids on one side was only putting it a little bit up the nose because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this person was told that you can get the swab over here where it's got to be all the way up. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. these got to hurt. Three, three right. It's supposed mm -hmm. to hurt a little shock. Three mm -hmm. kids or something tested positive. My son did not, but the boy with him was. So they told my son, since he was in the car, even though he was in the front and the kid was in the back, he has to go home. Now, I had two problems with this. So I said, first of all, is this a medical thing or legal? They said medical. I said, okay, so all those kids that were tested, that were tested only a little bit here, are they being retested? No. I said, okay. Second question, all the drivers that drove these kids up, are they being tested? No. I said, how do we know the kids in the car didn't get it from them? So the actual answer was, well, our doctor is, the answer was it was not medical. They were trying to make a line and stand by it. Right. But so I said to them, if that's the case, since you're making a line about letting kids miss a camp, then you should ask a shaila of a chacham of God Because mm -hmm. you're not doing a medical thing. You're, you're saying like a kid can't go on a trip. I remember years ago, Rabbi Herzberg, you remember Rabbi Herzberg, right? Mm, absolutely. I wanted to take a boy and not let him come with my class to Great Adventure. And I took Menachem to Great Adventure. Remember that? I don't know if mm -hmm. you remember. So I didn't want a boy to come because he was a terror. And Robert Herzberg asked the God, the one was told, no, you can't do it. It'll affect the child. Mm -hmm. So I said to the camp, how can you do this? And they said, well, you know, medicine. anyway, that camp ended up having a lot of positives during the summer. And it was a whole nightmare. And I, I can't tell but wonder, maybe they were doing it wrong. Maybe they should have done the medical issue and not worked mm -hmm. off the... Uh, how they felt was right or wrong. Medically, right. they should have rechecked those kids that came in because I'm sure some of them were real positives and that would have stopped them from spreading throughout the camp. And what can you do? So I, I again, it goes back to the schools. Is the school really nervous? If the school's worried, then they have a, a doctor or a nurse. The nurse in our school is wonderful. If a kid comes in with a tummy ache, the nurse will take a look at him and say, Leslie, you were in here 12 times last year and we only had school half the year. You're fine, go back to class. <laughs> if an otherwise normal kid comes in and he doesn't look right, right. You know, that's it. So in my class, I don't usually let the boys go to the nurse unless I make a determination it's important. So a boy fell down the second day of class and got a cut from, during football game. So I said to him, builds character, and I gave him a band. And he's fine. He didn't need to go to the nurse. But should a boy start acting odd, like, you know, you see the glazed look, mm -hmm. or 
that's when, you know, I'd get nervous. And we have the rules in place. If a kid, we think if, you know, um, there's a boy that might be positive, there are setups in place. We'd stay in the classroom, call the nurse in, we'd wear extra masks, whatever else it is. And if necessary, we would have to quarantine. But then again, that's a medical thing because then we have to be careful not to spread the virus. But if we're, you know, we're not gonna make up rules just to satisfy the government and say, well, we have everyone testing twice in the morning, twice at night, you know? I'll tell you something funny. You know, they have these tests you have to fill out on your phone before you come in. You've heard of those, right? The screening questionnaires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the parents called me up in a panic because she had wrote, no, 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 signed it. And then she realized her son was at a bar mitzvah the night before and someone was positive at this bar mitzvah. So she wanted to know how to undo the screening. I said, just don't send your kid to school. You know, right. there's, there's nothing to do. You have to ask. She said, can I send her? I said, ask the doctor, ask the school because there are rules in place. And I don't know what the rules are in these cases, but I'm sure you'd have to possibly quarantine and, you know, and quarantine right. is not being done properly. I have to be right. honest with you. It right. bothers me. My son was mm -hmm. in quarantine and we locked him in a room. My wife and I didn't hug my son for over a week. Oh. We locked him in a side room. There was a bathroom there. We put food outside the door and we talked to him. It was six feet away. Each of us wearing a mask and very limited. And we, it was a window as well. I made a sign out there saying, come say hello to, to uh, whoever it was. And it would walk by and waved him to the window. That's quarantine. Having people walk around your house with a mask on is not called quarantining and you're not doing it properly. Okay, but it's even worse than that. And this is a perfect segue to another concern I have about people not doing what they should be doing and how that affects all of us. Like, you know, you said before, well, we've always had different kinds of kids and different homes, but here is where one family's behavior affects everybody. So I'm hearing stories, unfortunately, about spread, like you alluded to, um, seems to be coming a lot from, from gathering simchas, you know, particular. And I'm hearing stories about people going places, even though they're positive. It's an embarrassment. Forget quarantine. Really Forget quarantine. It's an embarrassment. I do know someone who tested positive, and then he snuck out of quarantine to run to a store. I, I just, I cannot understand. You're putting other people's lives at risk. How selfish do you have to be to do that? Forget the, the Jewish aspect. As a human, it's just wrong. And, you know, I, I have a local meeting in the backyard near us because we didn't want to walk in the shul and we we're staying outdoors. Mm, and that's that's a, yeah. we, have, we have a local medium and someone came without a mask. And I, I said, he goes, masks are uncomfortable. I said, well, don't dive in here then. He goes, I'll stand 10 feet away. I said, no, no, no. We have rules. It's not a convenience thing. It's inconvenient. I'd rather be in shul. Don't put a, don't come over here without a mask. It defeats the whole purpose. I can't understand. And you're right. I have, I know of people that have done these events and gone to events without, you know, I went to a wedding uh, a short while ago, a family friend got married and they asked me to uh, read the Ksuba. And I walked up with a mask on and you know, the host was frantically motioning me no. to take the mask off. So I no. stepped back a little bit and took the mask off quickly and put it back on. But you know, it's just wrong. I mean, I'm doing this, you know, Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm still young. I, I, you know, although people my age have been getting it, but not as much. I, I can't imagine anyone being that selfish that they'd be willing to get someone else sick. And I got to tell you, there are people, and I'm thinking of one person specifically, that make a whole big deal and they write articles. Masks are a joke. They're forcing mm -hmm. us. It's incredible. I mean, how could you live with yourself? You, you run the risk of hurting people and they come up with excuses of why they're right. I wrote an article, Yitzhi Ross might think masks are not so important, but my opinion does not matter. I have a doctor and I have a rub and they have both told me I need to wear a mask and that's what I will do. 
to not wear a mask because you decided that masks aren't as helpful as people think they are. That's foolish, it's selfish, and it's plain wrong. And if you, I, I don't know, you know what would happen after 120 when you come up and you say, I'm a good person. They say, yeah, but because of you not wearing a mask, nine people died before they were supposed to. So you know what people are saying, and I'm, I'm, I just want you to hear this because they're saying it. They're saying, but nobody's dying anymore. They did die, and now they're not. So now the virus, they think, is weaker. There's no evidence that the case. Um, lots of people may be getting it, but they're really not getting much symptoms. And they say, okay, well, why can't I go someplace? Because I feel fine. It's just a little cold, or I don't even have any symptoms. So if I'm fine, why should I worry? Why should I ruin my life? It's a fair question. Because in the beginning, people were dying, and many of the people were dying, A, because doctors did not know how to deal with this, and there was no room. There were no room in the hospitals. Mm -hmm. So now that we have room, granted, there are less deaths. But first of all, one death is too much. Exactly. And, and second of all, we aren't even sure of what's going to happen to those that had this virus. So right. for example, someone had it, and I know someone had it and he cured, but he told me he still had no sense of smell or taste, which is horrible. Someone else I know, he, he feels his breathing isn't this good. We don't right. know how long the symptoms might go on for, for years, not right. for the rest of your lives. Right, so they gave it a name, it's called the put, long haulers. Yeah, Yeah. I, I can't understand if there's, oh, you know, if they told us, you know, I, I, I like to say that death is inevitably a part of our lives. So if we, for example, said, you know what, a good way to stop people from dying in car crashes is to stop driving. That's like with that 16-year-old global warming girl, Greta, whatever her name is. Right, Thunberg, She was like, yeah. stop the world. Right. Only use electric cars, although many people are working in mines to mine these batteries. Stop the world to save people's lives. Well, the world is saving people's life. We have a much longer uh, lifespan than they used to because we've done things. And yes, we've gone backwards in some ways, forwards in others. But we have to weigh the pros and cons. So if they were telling us that we had to put on a spacesuit every day, which is a 45-minute ordeal to walk around, I can hear people saying, you know what, is it worth the hassle because maybe we should just tell those people to stay home. We're being asked to wear a mask. Right. How It's crazy. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. And I, again, I told you, I do have breathing issues. I, I get short of breath quickly. I have no problems wearing a mask. I actually have a different mask, a, a mask a little bit thinner that I get to wear that's still, you know, up to code, but I wear masks and it's not that difficult. So it's either for attention that people are doing this or they're actually selfish people and they hide themselves. And they, they one, one person told me, she goes, you know, throughout the, our history, you have had these challenges and this is a challenge that we have to fight. We have to show that we'll stand up for what we believe in. I, I don't, I have no response. I mean, it's just like, you know, um, my, my kids, when they're little, they really enjoy the feeling of having a diaper that's full. It's a warm feeling. I know we haven't done this for a while, but if you would ask my, my two-year-old, he'd say, what's wrong with that dirty diaper? It feels good. I don't see a problem. And I'm not going to argue with him because there's not, no way I can win an argument with a two-year-old about how the diaper feels. I'm not going to have an argument with a lady who seems to believe that the world is out to get us because we have to wear masks and that we're being cloned and sheep or whatever else she thinks we are. I can't have a rational argue because she's not a rational person. Right, but I'm also wondering what this does to our children when our children see us not doing the right thing. I mean, our children, not your children, not my children. These parents are going to have issues with their kids because they're telling their children everything is a hoax. So the jump is very simple. This is the scariest part. The jump of 
Masks are, are a hoax and this virus is a hoax. And you, when you jump to that, the other hoaxes and the conspiracy theories jump in. So believe it or not, I was reading a fascinating study online that I think it was 27% of people that think that COVID is now a fake virus and is not real. They no have way. decided that this 27% of those people have decided the earth is actually not round anymore. Oh, I see. Because the jump of conspiracy right. is you start believing the facts that you're reading. And many of these people are now becoming anti-vaccination. Right. So what's happening is they're jumping from one thing to the next and they're bringing proofs which are not real. And Dr. Glatt said it best. Now, Dr. Glatt's on the other end of the spectrum. He's like really hardcore about this. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, he knows, he knows everything. And yes, he's very strong. But that's because he's been in the trenches to watch people die. Right. So Dr. Glatt told me, there's no way you can ever win an argument with someone who's an anti-vax person because there's no rational discussion with someone who's not rational. You can bring them all the proofs in the world and they'll say, it's not true. <laughs> you know, one of my rebels used to say, if someone wants to lie and you say you're a liar, they could just lie and say, no, I'm not. Right. It'll never end. You know, the, you could bring it's like the island with the people who's telling the truth. Right. It is no way to win. So I feel bad for them and I feel worse for their children because their children are growing up, you know, in an environment where their really, reality is not real. And they're being but you, told but, things. But, you know, you're talking about a, a smaller percent. I think just like with anti-vaccine, there's a small percent that are hardcore and there's a larger percent that are doubters. And I think that, you know, unfortunately we've had a lot of issues with our leaders not leading the way they should. We've got a lot of polarization with politics. And it's, I think that there's a lot more lack of trust in the larger population. Forget the small flat earther, anti-vaxxer, you know, the more extreme end. I think that there's a larger loss of trust in our culture. I, I think that definitely there are those, um, and I'm not sure if it's just a religious thing or it's a stupidity thing, but there are, there are leaders that have been doing things wrong mm -hmm. and they're, they have to rethink certain things. I mean, there are those that, uh, don't take this seriously or didn't take this seriously. There were people that were allowing weddings without masks. I, I don't know. I did go to two weddings over the past few months. I went to one wedding indoors and I told my kids, cause we were invited. I said, if your masks come off, we're going home. And that's it. You know, I, I, it was, I had an obligation to go. It's a scary thing. I, I, I can't speak for the leaders. You know, I'm sure there are others that make those decisions, but it is definitely scary for us that scarier than the individuals who are crowing about how deadly the masks are, you're right, it's even scarier than when you have leaders that are not doing it right. And again, you and I could both be wrong. If it turns out in five years, they say, you know what, the masks weren't helpful, I won't care. Right. Because I did what I was supposed to do. And those that were saying it all along will be like, ah, told you so. No, I would do it again. I, I, if I can risk possibly saving someone's life, I will wear the mask all the time that I can. Right. And, and you I, know what? You're, you're right that masks are not foolproof. And I think something that, that gets lost in the shuffle is how important it is also to, you know, keep our distance as much as possible. And, you know, you mentioned weddings before and the people are having them more and more. And it looks like that's where the spread is coming from. So mm -hmm. that's a whole other issue. I hope we're going to stay open. I don't know if you're. I can't about imagine that. that we're going to close up. I don't think we're going to close only because, 
you know, I think that even when even the numbers are going up, they're not going up in the schools. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the schools are the cause the numbers going up. I think the the l larger events that are going on, those are the cause or, you know, and I think that we have to work on being careful. I wish to, you know, I wish it was a way of communicating this to those that are doing these things. You know, if it was only some way they could say, you know, hi, so you went to a, I'm not going to say the store name without, without, with positive virus, thinking that your mask was protecting you. Here are the 14 people that got sick because of you. Right. Would you like to visit their families, you know? I always said that's the best way to do it. You know, when, in a drunk driving case, they, they, there was one country, I forget which one it was, that when someone was driving drunk, they would make him go door to door and meet all the people that either had family members die or get seriously injured as a result of a drunk driver. And I think that's what's going on here is we're not showing these adults enough of these images. So they think it's not real. You know, I, I know people over the past month or two, week or two that have gotten sick and are in serious condition. And we're saying to Helen for them. Right. And the problem is everyone's like, oh, it's all fine now. No, it's not. It's not fine. I, I, I hope it's fine soon. I hope they have a vaccine soon. But until then, we just got to follow the rules. How hard is that, right? Right, but when we're not, what does it do to our children? What does it, it do to it our teaches children? Them, it teaches them that it's okay to be lenient on other people's account. Mm -hmm. And it certainly has a very negative impact, both in the way they're going to grow up and the way they're being raised. And it's just sad. But between me and you, the children that are growing up in these houses, it, I have a funny feeling this is before the virus, they were having issues already. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's sad, you know? We only do what we could do. You as a, a doctor, myself as an educator, we just gotta keep, you know, knocking it into their heads that sometimes it's not easy to do the right thing, but you gotta do it anyway. Right, right, no, it's so true. And we could talk about this all night, but I know that you're really, really busy and I thank you so, so much for your time. And I wanna wish you a good job and a Shana Tova. Thank you so much. And I, I hope that this message gets out there. If anyone ever has to ask me a question, they can contact you through, contact me through your uh, podcast or whatever it is. That's how they can get through to me. Right. Do you have an email? I do. Do you want me to give it? Is that sure. like, you know, so if people need to reach me, reach me they can reach me at Rebbe at yidparenting.com. That's R-E-B-B-E at Y-I-D parenting.com. And that's where I take parenting emails. And if you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you. We'll do the best we can to get you uh, sorted out. Yeah, it's an awesome column. And thank you so much. And thank you for being an amazing Rebbe, including to my son. Yeah, we we're not going to name awesome. a fourth time. <laughs> All right. Have a wonderful night and a good job. You everybody. too. You too. Be well. It's meeting for Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.